Thanks for checking out this sermon from Redemption Church in Seattle, Washington, where we're enjoying Jesus, loving people, and making disciples. If you'd like to learn more about redemption, you can go to redemptionchurchseattle.com. Or better yet, come be our guest on a Sunday here in Green Lake. God is clearly at work in our church, and, um, and so we're grateful. I mean, it's, it's been a great week serving as one of your pastors. I love actually getting to sit with all of you regularly and just hear your stories, pray with you, rejoice with you, weep with you, and get to service. I mean, this, this is just the greatest thing. I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be and anything I'd rather be doing than, than this. So, man, my heart is already full. Um, so today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Uh, this past Monday, that was honored as a, as a national holiday. And so usually here at Redemption, we're walking through a, a book of the Bible, a passage of the Bible, and we're exegeting line by line, word by word through the scriptures. And occasionally we stop and we hone in on a, a partic- particular issue, a particular doctrine, a particular piece of the Christian worldview and faith. And so today we're looking at specifically the sanctity of life. And so if you're not a Christian, and you're, this is your first time in church, welcome, glad you are here. Um, this is a place that you can belong before you ever believe what we do as professing Christians believe about the Lord Jesus. Uh, and if, if you are a Christian and you're part of the family of God, grace and peace to you, I'm, I'm grateful to be among the brothers and sisters this morning. It is no small thing to be called what the Bible refers to in over 61 passages not just verses, but passages, the children of God. To be God's child, St. Alios has said, to be a child of God is greater than being king of the whole world, and that's absolutely true. So it's good to be with all of you today. Um, as you know, earlier this month, uh, we've had two major holidays so far this month. Earlier this month, on January 15th, our country honored the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And, uh, and who obvi- we all know our history. I hope you know this history because his legacy not only changed the landscape of American history, it is changing things still to this day. Growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, my wife grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. Dr. Martin Luther King was a thing. It was not just like a footnote in history class. It was a thing that was in our faces regularly. Now, when you grow up with something familiar, some of the edge of what he actually accomplished and what he stood for uh, didn't, didn't pierce our hearts the way it does now. And part of that has to do with just growing up and paying attention to the news and going, oh my gosh, that wasn't just like millions of years ago, way back somewhere, sometime long. No, we're talking, whoa, real recent. And what he stood for as a man, was more than just basic morality. Dr. King had a prophetic vision, a vision rooted in human flourishing because his heart squared with God's heart on what a human life is. From conception all the way to when we die later in life. This was powerful, and that's why our country stopped to honor what God accomplished in and through Dr. King's life. So his vision was rooted in the glory of God, revealed in men and women living justly, 
with one another. The other major holiday was celebrated this past Monday uh, called the Sanctity of Human Life. And many presidents since the passing of Roe versus Wade in 1973 have stood against the legalization of abortion. And so our country is quite divided on this issue, as you know. And as Christians, we start to ask, ask, answer the question, what's the Christian worldview? What does the Bible say specifically about this issue of abortion? Is it mere politics? And from cover to cover in Scripture, the Bible responds, absolutely not. We are not talking just politically. We are talking theologically. That when we say something about human life as Christians, that is informed directly by God's word. First and foremost, as our highest written authority. That we look beyond government. We look beyond all these. We look specifically as Christians to what scripture says. We believe in word alone. It's our highest written form of God's revelation to us and it instructs us in how we are to live. Not only what we are to believe doctrinally, but how we are to conduct ourselves as his children in this world. So, I know in this room, as Kelly just mentioned, the, the New York Times article says and reports that roughly one in three women will have an abortion in their life. And so, uh, we know that people even in this room either have or will or have been deeply affected by, by abortion. Uh, one of my dear friends and I, she, she and I spoke on the phone this week. Um, <clears throat> we spoke on the phone this week and uh, she talked to me about how her mom, she recently found out, her mom was pressured by another family member to have multiple abortions before she was born. And she's struggling with this now, going, somebody's, there's actually several somebodies that are missing in my family. I always felt like I belonged in a larger family. Where are all these other siblings? And then this, just recently learned this this past autumn, that, oh my gosh, there were, there were abortions. And in speaking to her mom about the individual that pressured her into the abortions, her mom told her, you know, if somebody just would have said, you can do this, I know it's, in, I know it's inconvenient, I know it's unbelievably expensive, I know, I, I know, I know, I know all that comes with raising a child. You can do this. The mom said that life would look different. Nobody was there cheering her on, saying we can do this. So uh, this issue has touched people personally in this room. And so it's with that I want to walk through some of what Scripture has to say to us uh, with just utter humility. Um, man, I'm like rattled thinking about what we're talking about. We're talking about not just mere statistics. We're talking about human beings. And, um, and so 
With that being said, I just want to walk you through some of the gospel, then get into some of the image-bearing concepts that are in the Bible, what it means to be human, and then we're going to talk about some very practical application pieces. So, why begin with the good news of Jesus and our security and salvation? Well, here's, here's the deal. First and foremost, nobody in this room is blameless before God apart from Jesus. Every last one of us. If you're a woman in here that's had an abortion, you get to walk out of here being reminded again of the good news of Jesus, that you are made whole, righteous, holy, and blameless, regardless of how bad and how horrific some events are in your past. You walk out of here just like everybody else does today, not based on your own works, but because of the good works of Jesus that makes you righteous. You need to hear that. And every one of us in here that walk out of here today walk out going, we shouldn't walk out of here with our heads held high in pride going, phew, that doesn't apply to me because I never did that. Glad I got away with that one. That's for someone else. No, the gospel's for you too. So the gospel does this thing where it brings up the lowly and the gospel also humbles those of us who are proud because we're all on a level playing field when it comes to the Lord Jesus. Thank God, wow, okay, so I'm just gonna walk this through. I'm gonna do my best to get you out of here before tomorrow, so here you go. I'll step away from my notes. That doesn't mean much, but it means that I'm, going to get out of here before tomorrow. All right, so here we go. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. From now on, therefore, Paul's talking as a recent convert to Christianity to Christians in a very pagan city called Corinth. Okay, if you've heard of it and know anything about the books of Corinthians, this is a very secular, very pagan city. You do you was not a new thing. That was around way back. This is Corinth, okay? You do you theology. All right. Paul, now as a Christian, writing to new Christians, from now on, from now on, therefore, we regard or we consider no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What is he talking about? He says this, from now on, because I'm in Christ, because Jesus has changed me, I now don't look at people merely based on the flesh. That is how much money they have or don't have, what color their skin color is or is not. Not, We don't look at people based on what political party they align with. We don't look at people according to whatever the world says. This is who you are. As Christians, we go, "Uh uh-uh, no. We look beyond that. As Christians, we look way beyond that. We don't merely regard people according to the flesh. And then he says, besides, we all judge Jesus according to the flesh, and look how that worked out. You look at Jesus coming out of a no-name town from parents, Mary, virgin birth, yeah, right, mocked his entire life. We, don't, we, we, we regarded Christ according to the flesh and we crucified him. And who was he? Oh my gosh, the sinless son of God. So we give up on this outward judging thing. We no longer regard one another according to the flesh. That's how the world thinks. Paul's saying, no, no, no. Then he says this, how, why? If anyone is in Christ, in Christ, this this idea of being in Christ shows up over 146 times in your New Testament. In Christ, it's a real big deal. If the Bible says something one time, it's very important. Says it 146 times, you should tune in. This is a really, 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 really 146 times big deal. In Christ, 
that in Christ, that's who you are. You are no longer defined by your job, your sexuality, your orientation, or what's in your past, or what's in your future, or what's in the present moment. Yes, all those things are important, but that is not the fundamental foundation of your life. You are now located outside of the world. Now you are in Christ. It is a positional standing before God. If anyone, anyone, anyone with all the baggage intact from the past, anyone in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Brand new, not an improved you, not a you with a few more morals, not a few you with a couple degrees, not a few you, you know, things. New, absolutely new. Jesus has not come to tweak our morality. He has come to bring dead people to life, okay? That's what Jesus has done. So if it, lest you hear this as, well, I should probably consider a couple revamping my ethics a little bit on abortion. Before, this isn't even about revamping just a couple little ethical points. This is about, are you new in Christ and do you operate with the mind of Christ, governed by the Holy Spirit, led by what's written in the scripture, in the community of God? This is what we're talking about, okay? Anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. That is fantastic news on a dreary January Sunday morning in Seattle. The old's gone, the new has come. It's come, you're already new. Did you know if you're a Christian right now, you'll never be more justified than you are right now? That in heaven, yes, glorification, that's a thing. Justification, settled, past tense. When you get to heaven, you'll belong there like you belong right now. That's great, that's great. That's great. There's no other world religions or philosophies or ideas floating around out there giving you this right now. No other God has come down and done this for anybody, but our God did. So yeah, this is why we worship all the time. This is, this is it. It's why we, yeah, all right. Sorry, all right. All this is from God, all of this. So where does all this good news come from? Where? All this. All this no more hell, no more judgment, no more wrath, no more condemnation, no more being defined by what I did in the past or what I've done tomorrow. All this, where'd it come from? Did it come from your good works? Is it because you look good? Is it because you voted right? Is it because you were born in the right family? Is it because you were on the right team? Is it because you made enough good choices in life? All this, God must've looked at me because I'm so good. No, all this comes from who? God. It all comes from God. All this is from God. Who, what'd he do? Here's the whole gospel. Through Christ, through his own son, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Catch that, you're not born morally neutral. Maybe God will make, no, we needed, we were in a position called enmity with God and we needed to be reconciled to him. If there was any hope, if there was gonna be any hope, it was gonna be the savior reaching in and saving us. So he did not out of obligation, but out of grace. All this is from God who reconciled us, how? Through Christ and through Christ alone and gave us. So now that we're reconciled, what do we do? Well, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That is, we're not okay with just a vertical relationship with God being, okay, cool, I've got that squared away, great. I'm reconciled to God, Now, now what? Every time God brings someone into the family, he sends them out to go because God is on a mission of adopting others into his family. That it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel to go, cool, I'm good with God. Thank you for Jesus, good Friday, resurrection, Easter. 
Wonderful. Now I can sit on the sideline. Absolutely not. The gospel is, yes, you're brought in and you're sent out. Story of Abraham. Story of Moses. Peter comes to Matthew at the tax booth. Come follow me and then sends him out. This this is what he does. If you need more theology on that, read the Pentecost passage. All right. Ministry of reconciliation, that is God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Christian, that's what you got today. You got the message of reconciliation, and you don't leave it here at the communion table on Sunday morning. You actually go out with that message, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, always a message of reconciling men and women to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. You need a mission? There it is. There it is. We're ambassadors for Christ. Make God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, here's the gospel, he, God, that is God, that's the he there, he made him, that is Christ, He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Catch that? God put all of our sin on Christ. He, God, made Christ to be sin. To be sin, not a sinner. Lest you think Jesus was on his cross because he deserved that. No, God put forth his son as a propitiation to cover our sins. He made him to be sin, abortion included. so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God, that we would not just be brought up to a morally neutral, forgiven state before God. You catch the difference between forgiveness and righteousness being given to you? Forgiveness takes you from a negative 10 to zero. Righteousness put in your account makes you eternally wealthy before God. That in him, you become the righteousness of God. That in the gospel, you get Jesus's good works imputed, placed into your account that when you show up in heaven, you are righteous as Jesus. You're like, I did not do anything to deserve that. Bingo, that's called grace. That's it. And that is great news. Why do you need to be reminded of all that? I thought this is about sanctity of life. If, if you didn't hear all the themes of life in that, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. That is life. Jesus has come that we would have abundant life and not just abundant life now, but eternal life, eternal life. If you're a Christian, by the way, because it's eternal, your eternal life kicked off a while back. It's been going. Like, how do you explain that? Oh, I can't. All right, so, so why mention all that? Because it's so important that from cover to cover in scripture, you understand that the gospel applies to anyone who's willing to repent of sin and place their faith in him. So, in case there might be any confusion, I wanna just state publicly where we stand as a church body on the issue of pro-choice. On the issue of abortion, you will find absolutely no support whatsoever from scripture that sides in favor of the pro-choice 
position. Unequivocally. From cover to cover of the Bible, we see that each human being is uniquely made by God in the womb as his image bearer. Even the ones we don't like. We absolutely cannot overlook this essential fact that impacts all of life. And so this is a statement that includes race, ethnicity, and overall health of every human being. So as the followers of the Lord Jesus, in which he and his word comes above and before everything else, we understand that as his disciples, we stand completely against abortion. And we are always pro-life. And when I say pro-life, that is going beyond pro-birth. To be pro-life means to be pro-life for all of life, for every life. We are more than pro-birth as Christians. Yes, we don't want babies aborted. And we're pro-life. After the baby comes into the world, what is the gospel response? We jump in. We help. We seek human flourishing. So I know, I know this is, I know, I know this rattles all of us, but please stick with me. Um, I know a lot of issues pop up immediately in our minds when I say that, so let me just say a couple of things from Scripture, and I'll just point out a couple of things. Human beings, we have our origin in God. Genesis 1, 27 says this, God made man and woman in his own image. In the divine image, he created a male and female. The human beings are not an accident. But human beings are created by God. Psalm 127.3 Truly, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a gift to be cherished, not a burden to be destroyed. Psalm 139 For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Do you hear the intentionality, the creativity, the complexity, the attention to detail that David is describing here? Intricately woven. David's showing us how to think as Christians. To see life in the womb as the work of God. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I love this verse. If I should count them, they're more than the sand. 
I awake and I'm still with you. In case you're wondering how God feels about you. Wow. Could that be true? It is. You have been my, Psalm 22, verse 10 and 11. You, you have been my guide since I was born. From my mother's womb, you are my God. So again and again, Paul, uh, Jeremiah says it too. Jeremiah 1, Paul says it in Galatians 1. God from my mother's womb had set me apart and called me through his grace. That You see John the baptizer, right, in Elizabeth's uh, belly showing up. And there's Virgin Mary and they're, right, they come together. And there's Jesus in Mary's womb. John is in Elizabeth's womb. John starts jumping and kicking, like, immediately as he gets closer and closer to baby Jesus. It's like, what? What? that's what you're gonna do. You might show up in heaven and start jumping and kicking and freaking out like, this is, uh, this is Jesus, right? Okay, so from everywhere you see in the Bible, what we see is that the biblical authors always speak in favor of life being carried out, never destroyed. So we preserve life. And so... Life is to be revered, celebrated, and cherished, and protected. And yet in 1973, the United States decided that it is within a mother's legal rights to end the life of the baby in her womb. It is her right. Since 1973, in our country alone, 40 years following Japan, by the way, who started 40 years ahead of us on abortion, um, 50 million babies have been aborted in our country alone. That comes out to approximately 2,500 babies a day. But in 1973, when this law was passed, there was no 3D sonogram available in which you can see very vividly the life of a human being living within the mother's womb. But the law passed anyway. And I know that many people do not believe that human life that a baby in the womb is actually a human being. And yet, as I look through several leading embryology textbooks this week, every one of them continue to affirm that they are, in fact, human beings. Dr. TVN Prasad, one of the most brilliant men to ever work in the field of embryology, states explicitly this in his textbook on embryology, a zygote, is the beginning of a human being. He's not a Christian, just a scientist, doing just plain, cold science. A zygote. My dear friend Scott Klusendorf, he's a pro-life apologist. I used to be his pastor back in Georgia. He travels all over the world teaching pro-life apologetics, and he wrote a fantastic book called The Case for Life, Equipping Christians to Engage the Culture. This is what he writes on page 27. Pro-life advocates contend that elective abortion unjustly takes 
the life of a defenseless human being. This simplifies the controversy by focusing public attention on just one question. Is the unborn a member of the human family? If so, killing him or her to the benefit of others is a serious moral wrong. It treats the distinct human being with his or her own inherent moral worth as nothing more than a disposable instrument. Conversely, if the unborn are not human, elective abortion requires no more justification than having a tooth pulled. Is a human? Is a human? And the answer from science, the zygote is the beginning of a human life, and most certainly from scripture, yes. Yes. Philosopher Stephen Schwartz says it this way. He put together a small helpful acronym called SLED, S-L-E-D, that helps remind uh, or helps us articulate a pro-life position by pointing out that there's no difference between when you are a zygote and the person that you are today regarding your value. And this is important when it comes to the pro-life debate is that is the life outside of the womb more valuable than the life inside? Here's how he says it. First, S, size. Some would argue that because it's small, unseen, insignificant, that it has less value than a human being on the outside of the womb. Size. Embryos are smaller than adults, but since when does size make one more or less human? <laughs> right? Good point. Philosophers have a way of just doing that. All right. Uh, two, L, level of development. Yes, level of development. Four-year-olds are less developed than 40-year-olds, but age and development does not determine human value. A baby that is six weeks old lacks certain abilities to perform mental functions. Right. But the same can be said of those who are comatose, asleep, or suffer from Alzheimer's. Do we take their life? Environment. Arguments about environment show up. That our value is not contingent upon where we find ourselves physically in the world. <clears throat> this means that people working at the Amazon spheres down on 7th or someone working at the docks in West Seattle, one is not more valuable than the other based on where they are physically located. Thus, a change in the value does not occur when a baby travels out of the birth canal and suddenly transforms from being non-human to human. The baby that was in the birth canal a few moments earlier is just as human. Then lastly, D, Degree of dependency, viability. If viability is what makes us valuable human beings, then that would mean that everyone who depends on insulin do not carry the same value as someone who does not require insulin. You see where he's going? He's going, this is always the case, that human life is human life from conception until the day they die. So how human is a human baby? in the womb, exactly. Um, for those of you who are parents, we now live in the days in which you get an app on your phone 
and they'll just give you an update every 30 minutes on what's going on with that little baby in your womb. Um, <clears throat> and I had, to go, I had to go look some of this stuff up. I forgot. Tove is eight years old now, and I, I forgot all the little stages. But, you know, you get the app and the updates, and you're like, ah, today the baby's the size of an avocado. Like, what? That's strange. Okay. <clears throat> you don't really, you're not in the mood for guacamole that day, but nonetheless, you're going, right, avocado. Okay. Or today your baby's getting ears or whatever. It's like, this is the craziest thing. It sounds like getting tires put onto a car, like get new, new ears today. Like today they're getting ears today, right? And on and on it goes. It was wild to see just how early our bodies develop in the womb. At eight weeks in the womb, a human baby can smile. Eight weeks. At eight weeks, human beings can suck their thumbs. They recoil from pain. Uh, Most recent research is showing that babies in utero can dream. What are they dreaming about? I have no idea. (laughs) But they have dreams. It's like, what do you know? But they're dreaming. Amazing. Why are they dreaming? Because they have a functioning brain already at eight weeks. In addition to having a functioning brain, all their major organs are organisms. Organs are functioning, including heart, kidney, liver, They have fingerprints. They have a nervous system at eight weeks. At 21 weeks, a baby can successfully live outside of a mother's womb with obvious medical assistance. It's amazing. And on and on it goes, right? So when it comes to abortion, 90% of abortion centers are housed in urban centers, right? which would obviously include where we live. When you look up the reasons, though, people, this is where it starts to get really political, right, and the reasons for for abortion. What percent, what are the percents? Why do people go through with abortion? 0.5% are victims of rape, which is the usual one that you hear, like, well, what what if a woman is raped, then what? 0.5% of the time, that is the case, that a woman goes through abortion. 3% fetal health problems, 4% physical health problems, 4% would interfere with education or career, 7% not mature enough to raise a child, 8% don't want to be a single mother, 19% done having children, 23% can't afford a baby, 25% checked not ready for a child, 6% checked other. I don't know if you saw the special that ran on CBS back in August. It was entitled, What Kind of Society Do You Want to Live In? Inside the Country Where Down Syndrome is Disappearing. So in the documentary, they reported that Iceland is at nearly 100% of being rid of all children born with Down syndrome. Nearly 100%. 100%. Like, where is the United States at on this? 
in, in August, we were at 67%. On aborting, those suffering from Down syndrome. So we could read statistics all day about the loss of life and how we, as a culture, have thought about the unborn. And as Christians, we are committed to life. God has brought us into life, physical life. He has blessed us with abundant life in Jesus, who himself called himself the resurrection and the life. And to be a Christian is to be in love with life and the giver of life. This doesn't mean we enjoy everything that happens in our lives, but it does mean that we choose life over death and that we see death as too high a price to pay for our own mere convenience. So I go, okay, so so what do we do with this news? Tell us about the gospel. We're in Christ. We see in the Bible that we're all made in the image of God regardless of age or race, socioeconomic background. Okay, got it. We see where our culture stands on the issue of abortion and what Christians have to say about What do we do? Like, what can we do here? Today, as Redemption Church, what do we do? Um, uh, Drew connected me with Bethany Services, and Drew and Laura, we love them so much. So, um, they, Drew connected me with Bethany Services, whom they're working with, and uh, I wanted to invite Catherine up. Uh, where are you, Catherine? Here we are. So here's Catherine for Bethany Christian Services, uh, an organization here in our city that tangibly gets involved in what we're talking about here today. If you'll grab that microphone, that'd be great. um, And so she's just gonna tell us a little bit about what we can do, application pieces, regarding this ever so important issue. So thanks for joining us, Catherine. You're welcome. Here, there you are. Good morning. I'm just so honored to be here and to share with you a little bit. (coughs) Bethany Christian Services is an adoption and foster care placement agency. And I kind of uh, refer to it lightheartedly as a one-stop shop. We, <laughs> we have uh, pregnancy counseling for women who find themselves pregnant and not really sure what they should do. And we walk with them. We obviously do not uh, support abortion, but we walk with them through the decision-making process. Can I parent? Do I have the space in my life and the heart to be a parent? or am I interested in placing for adoption? That's a hard decision for a lot of these young women. For some women who have um, other circumstances in their life, they are not able to um, parent. And so that's where we step in and offer the services of adoption placement for them. Um, so I, I brought with you, um, or with me, a, a little, just a little note card so I wouldn't forget some of the ways um, that you can be involved and help that may not be particularly, if you can't adopt a child or if it's out of your realm of uh, ability to do so, possibly you could foster a child. 
if you can't foster a child, maybe you could sign up to do respite care so that somebody else could have a break who is fostering a child. Um, anyway, I have a booth in the back set up that has lots of information about uh, different ways that you can help, uh, different programs that we have. Um, but let me just share just a couple of, a couple of critical things with you that um, uh, I just want to share these. Right now, the need for foster families is at a crisis point. There are 2,000 children in the foster care system right now who are legally free to adopt, and there aren't any places for them to go. So they, they bounce around from home to home, or they're in group home settings, or they're in full-time care facilities, and they don't have families to adopt them and call them their own for, forever families. Mm. Don't you just hate this? It's like off and on, off I don't on. hate it. It's, anyway. <laughs> um, so if you can't do something like that, could you support a family who <laughs> is doing foster care in your community? Um, perhaps you could support a family through providing new shoes for their children, or sports gear, or music lessons, or take them dinner. Um, <coughs> you could be a respite family. You could uh, join in a foster parent support group. You could, as a church, connect together and create an opportunity to be um, supporting to foster families. Um, you can support a pregnancy resource center. And I brought information about one called CareNet that we work with quite a bit. Uh, and we refer fam or young women to them for pregnancy testing and for support and different things. Um, there's another one in the University of Washington District called 3W, and I am not familiar with that yet, but it's obviously it's a resource out there for women who are in crisis pregnancy situations. Um, have you ever considered housing a pregnant woman? Um, the thing that, that just stirs my heart and it's so hard to deal with is that we get calls all the time from women who are pregnant and homeless and there's no place for them to go so we put them in a hotel a cheap hotel for a while as long as we need to until something opens up in a shelter for them I am working with a young lady this weekend um, tomorrow I will do a placement with her for her child um, who is homeless and prefers to stay that way because she doesn't want to follow anybody else's rules. But if you had a little spot that she could be in, or you could support somebody um, to pay for what it, ta what it takes for them to, um, to live for a few weeks or whatever until they can be in a shelter, that would be a helpful thing. Um, a lot of churches are offering maternity closets so that you can have clothing for pregnant women or for children. Some are mentoring young women who choose to parent, um, building a relationship with them, walking with them through their pregnancy, and then supporting them after the fact and being part of their lives. Uh, Bethany has what's called a Life Impact Fund. We are always welcome to receive um, any donations toward that because that's what we draw on to pay for hotels and food and clothing and Walmart gift cards and things that will help them just make it through the next few days. Um, we need help at Bethany with things like administration, with organizing, event plannings, birth mom luncheons, foster care picnics, things like that. I would highly encourage those of you who do have a political bent 
to get involved in legislative issues uh, that benefit children and families. Because if we don't, who will? Uh, and then most importantly, I would say pray. There is a group of children in a church of Edmond, in Edmonds, I would like to tell you about, that we spent time with them, just like I am with you here today, and the children's pastor came to me afterwards and said, what can we do as a, you know, a Sunday school, as a group of, of uh, children in, in this church? And I said, you could pray. And he said, well, who do we pray for? And there is a website called the Northwest Adoption Exchange of children who do not have a home yet. And these children in the Sunday school class, like from first to fifth grade or so, are praying for specific children on the Northwest Adoption Exchange website so they'll get adopted, which is a wonderful thing. Um, and then, say, I had one more thing. Oh, I was going to tell you about our trauma training workshop, sure. which is May 5th for those who want hands-on experience as how do we do this? How do we work with kids who've had traumatic situations? There is training available for you, and Bethany is here to provide as much as we can of that. So that's just a little taste of what we do. That's awesome. And I'll talk to you some more out in the lobby. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. <coughs> so... Yeah, so there is a very tangible, practical way that we can do something as a church or we can now get involved via foster care, adoption, giving, coming alongside to counsel and support people in great need. That it's not enough just to come in and open the Bible, but this ought to translate into how we live and tangibly love people, which is one of our major commitments as a church. We're about enjoying Jesus, yes. Loving people and making disciples. So with that being said, what I want to do now is invite our communion servers to go ahead and take their places. Uh, we're going to now observe what we do every week in response to the gospel message of being able to taste and see that the Lord is good. So go ahead and stand to your feet with me, if you will. And as you take the bread and the cup today, be reminded you're new in Christ the old is gone, the new has come, that the forgiveness of sins is a very real thing. It is accomplished in and through the Lord Jesus. So as you taste and see that the Lord is good in communion, remind your soul you are righteous before the throne of God by the work of Jesus. And this is also a time where we collect tithes and offerings. If you're growing here as a disciple and call redemption your home, then this would be a place where you can now participate in giving. If you're not a Christian and want to become a Christian today, I'd love to talk with you uh, now or after church. With that being said, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus and the gospel. We thank you for all that you're doing in our church. We thank you for the free grace extended to us. We ask that you would work powerfully in our church, work powerfully in our city, that lives may be spared and grow and flourish because of your great grace. Would you cause us as a church to surround the hurting, to surround the needy, to come and aid our neighbor, knowing that life is so short and before long we will be in the kingdom of God. As often as we did it to the least of these, we did it to you, Jesus. Keep that on our minds. 
as we apply the message of the gospel in our city. We pray this by, in, and through the Holy Spirit to you, God, our Abba Father. Amen.